0: Super deep bet. I'm really excited to be able to start a new series. If you remember, if you was here last week, Anne spoke last week. It was really super. Can you remember? All about leaving a legacy and that fact that we don't have to wait till we die to leave a legacy. We can all leave a legacy uh, each and every day with the people that we interact with. Um, so you heard the pretty one last week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you got me this week. And, uh, so. But I'm starting a new series, uh, the Emotionally Healthy Church, talking about emotions, um, which is going to be exciting. I just want to ask you two silly questions. Uh, who's experienced feelings of intense happiness and joy? Nobody. Oh, <laughs> a couple of people, a few people, intense happiness and joy. Has anybody experienced feelings of crippling sadness and deep loss? Yeah, most of us. Has <laughs> anybody kind of experienced kind of those things almost back to back in one day? Like, or, you know, almost at the same time for you. Um, so I remember, I was sharing a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago online on social media. Or it was uh, Thursday, 29th of August, and um, we were camping, which is an emotional Low for me. <laughs> no. no, it was all right. It was okay. No. Um, but we were camping. And it was um, it was my Uncle Barry's funeral. He'd passed away. All of a sudden, and it's, it was just so surreal. And we still, it's kind of, we're all scratching. How does this happen? And it was deeply sad. And so we drove back, Steve and I drove back from uh, Norwich to attend the funeral. And as I say, it was really Really sad and heartbreaking um, for, for for many of us, and uh, so that was one side of like the emotional spectrum. But also, as many of you know, I was celebrating, or in my back of my mind, I, this is like mark the 12-month stage for me having a cochlear implant, so being able to hear again. And so, <laughs> coming from a place of utter silence in life. <laughs> or practically for a number of years to start to be able to hear again. And so I was 12 months in from that. So I was like feeling really grateful and oh, wow, wowed by this. I'm wowed every day by what I can now hear. But that's the thing with emotions and feelings. We have so many of them. And they can be swayed and affected by just so many things. Um, something that happened to us years and years ago can affect how we feel today. Something that's happening to us today <laughs> obviously can affect how we feel, whether that's good or bad. Something that somebody has done to us, again, good, you know, affects us. Something that uh, somebody has do- is doing for us or has done for us can affect us in positive ways. <clears throat> We can have memories from something in the past. Again, good and bad. All these things can kind of affect our emotions, even our well-being. A simple imbalance of the biology within us can affect our emotions. A malfunction in our neurology can affect the way we feel in massive, massive ways. The other thing is, is sometimes you know we can have... Experiences of feelings and emotions, and think to ourselves something like, "You know, as a Christian, I shouldn't feel this way." <laughs> I don't know if you felt that. As a Christian, I shouldn't know depre- experience depression or anxiety, which is completely rubbish. Thought by the way, um, as one that's you know suffered with depression, you know, just uh, the inability to drag yourself out of that low, low place. Well, sometimes we think, you know, I just shouldn't have these particular desires or whatever it is. Now, for sure, there are certain feelings, certain emotions and desires, passions that absolutely don't align with um, a godly lifestyle or godly way or righteousness. Like lustful feelings, you know, having feelings of lust or greed or hatred, envy and on and on. But we have to be careful that we don't find ourselves in a place where we're thinking that all feelings, all emotions are off limits when it comes to God and being um, a follower of Jesus. Yeah, there are numerous places in the Bible where it warns us about feelings and emotions. It can often, it says, our feelings can be really unreliable. Our feelings and our emotions can be quite deceptive. So we shouldn't sort of lean towards our feelings and our emotions, just, you know, not depend on them, point to them and think, this is truth now. Because it's not always the case. But God is anything but opposed to emotions. He is anything but anti-feelings. You know, after all, he created us with... Emotions, didn't he? He created us with that ability to feel. And in fact, that's what makes us really human. You know, I think about all the sci fi movies that have come out that contrast sort of humans and non humans, like the sci fi movies like um, The Agents in Matrix. You've got the agents you've got the humans. And you know, the thing that separates us from them is, is, is emotion. We feel, we, have, we sense. And the androids in Will Smith's iRobot, or my favorite, the Terminator machines in Schwarzenegger's uh, blockbuster movie. As I say, the very thing, the chief thing that separates us from the fact uh, is the fact that we feel. We're humans and we feel. We were designed to feel. And what's more, the Bible says that we were created in God's image, we were created like. God, which means God is an emotional God, you know? God feels, he has emotions. And um, as we know, Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, he was fully God. You know, when he came and visited the earth, he was fully God. But he was also fully human. So therefore he was like the benchmark for us for what it is to be perfectly human, just as God intends for all of us. And I would argue that Jesus was incredibly emotional. He, he incredibly He experienced a whole band of feelings and emotions. So what I want to do just briefly as kind of part of the introduction to this series is just look at some of the emotions and feelings that Jesus encountered. We'll start in Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 30. If you're following, I'll give you a moment to search that out. So Mark 6, we're gonna actually look at about five or six passages this morning. So get get ready for that one. Um, so Mark six, verse thirty says the apostles gathered round jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught then because so many people were coming and going that he did not even have a chance to eat he said to them come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest so jesus first of all he's completely shattered you know they're all shattered they're hungry they're worn out they're probably feeling a little bit tired and irritable do you ever get that way you feel so exhausted that the people come at you and you just—I bite their head off. Yeah. And there's sometimes uh, is as a <laughs> <laughs> she'll she get her own back at I me. Mean, don't worry. Uh, I just say to her, "Go, go to bed, or <laughs> go and have a bath or something." <laughs> yeah. But sometimes we feel like that, and Jesus maybe he was—he was feeling that way. In verse thirty-two, it says so. They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot. So they've gone over bus on the boat, on the bus. And uh, everybody's gone on foot around, uh, on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he said, Oh, flipping heck, not you lot, again. <laughs> that probably would have been my reaction, but no, it wasn't Jesus. No, he landed, he saw the large crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many, many things. So Jesus then, he's exhausted, he's worn out, he's hungry, and he is moved with compassion. This powerful uh, human emotion called compassion. Let's have a look at the next one. This is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Once again, we're seeing this compassion and empathy coming out in Jesus. Luke 7, verse 11. It says, Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his, uh, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. It's like a funeral going on here. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. This woman, she's lost everything that is closest to her. She's lost her husband. It says she was a widow. And now she's lost her only son. The way things were going culturally back then is this woman is most likely heading towards a life of destitution. This is what she's got to look forward to. There's no family members to support her. Then verse 13. It says when the Lord saw her. His heart went out to her. And he said don't cry. It's an amazing story. How he actually goes on. And he, he raises her son from the dead. It's incredible. But again there's this like, heart of empathy. Beaten in the chest of Jesus. That reaches out to this poor woman. The next one. Luke chapter 10 verse 21 it says at this time jesus full of joy through the holy spirit said i praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children yes father for this is what you were pleased to do i mean look at this this is jesus is full of Of joy, it's like brimming, it's kind of spilling out so much so that it caused him to burst into song in worship to his father. And then, just a little bit further on in chapter 12, I mean, this is like Jesus doesn't only experience all the highs and the positive stuff emotionally, it's the lows as well. Chapter 12, verse 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it had already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Jesus is here. He's talking kind of metaphorically, so the language is used. He's talking this baptism to undergo. He's talking about his imminent death, his suffering that's coming up that we've been uh, remembering this morning. Is soon to experience this. I don't know whether you've um, had something, a circumstance which is coming up in the near future, and you're dreading it. And um, it's not a question of this thing might happen. It may come about. You know for certain it's going to happen. You're absolutely dreading it. Can you imagine how Jesus is feeling inside? (coughs) Just Think about all the fear and the anxiety. Next one is John chapter 2, verse 13. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Well, we haven't got the time to kind of go into the, the, the what was going on here, but... The, kind of, the crux of it, of, the crux of what's happening here is that it's all to do with oppression and injustice towards the poor and the marginalized. And uh, it's the religious elite that so kind of um, oppressing the, the lowly, those who are low. And uh, it, this is the important part of Jesus' response to this, verse 15. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that he's written, and and they quote Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. This is like such a graphic. Uh, picture of emo- this emotional Jesus. Uh, and it's all in opposition to what is actually happening. So he's got this anger. I mean, you could say it's like he's in rage. He drives out these, uh, these people and what they're doing. Such deep um, passion for righteousness and justice. And we rarely think about Jesus that way, don't we? I don't know whether in the kids' work, whether you teach about Jesus. Is it make, make mild Jesus? I mean, that's the Jesus I like to hear about most of the time. But this Jesus, the angry, driving people out, sort of Jesus? Just one more. In John 11, it's a real familiar one with many of us, I'm sure. It's the funeral of one of his closest friends, Lazarus. Um, so he's been dead for a, probably a few days. John 11, verse 33, says, When Jesus saw her, he's talking about Mary, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit. Now, that's a really interesting phrase that uh, John chooses to use here. In the King James, it's translated as, he groaned in the spirit. He groaned in the spirit. And actually, the word used is probably something that we wouldn't expect to find in the context of where it's used here. It's a Greek word, uh, embrimiomai, (laughs) embrimiomai, or something like that, Um, which it's difficult for kind of secular or modern authors to really grasp what's the emotion being expressed here. At best, it's a verb that means to snort with anger. <laughs> it's kind of like what a horse does, apparently. To snort without. I just like. <laughs> Did you expect that when you read that passage before? He snorted with anger. He was deeply moved and troubled. As I say, it's really difficult to understand the exact emotion that is being expressed, and I'll leave it to you to decide what this snorting anger was about. Was it just the fact? It was the series, sequence of events that landed up with his close friend dying. So, again, like my uncle, just out the blue or whatever. It's, or was it just through the lack of faith of those that he's just kind of come up to? <laughs> I'll leave it to you. Verse thirty four. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Jesus wept. Jesus is completely worn out emotionally by the events, and they're kind of brimming up with this, emo- and he's kind of emotionally broken down to a place where he's just flooding with tears. That's Jesus. And the Jews said, "See how he loved him." I'd say Jesus is certainly no stranger to like, the swirl of uh, blazing and pungent uh, emotions that many of us encounter, like grief and sorrow and trauma and anger and lament and all those things. He was an emotional being, and we are emotional beings. But I'd say the challenge for us is, what do we do with all these feelings? How do we respond to them? What do we do with them all? When we experience these extremely uh, diverse array of emotions from good and bad, you know, like the positive stuff, feeling all the sort of joy and happiness, excitement, calmness and peace of mind, all those things right the way through that spectrum, all the way to the negative feelings like hate and loss and rejection, confusion, pain. Feelings of being let down and abandoned. What do we do with all of that emotion? And I think that's a real evocative question. Because, do you know what? I don't think we always know what to do. <laughs> if we're honest, we don't know how to deal with some of these powerful emotions. Yeah, I mean, when we think about the powerful positive emotions, that's kind of easy. To know what to do with them. We just want to hold on to them, and we savor them for as long as we possibly can, keep, it, keep the event going, and it's like, yes, yeah, like this. But what about all the negative emotions, powerful negative, negative emotions? I don't think often we know what to do with them. Our best efforts is often simply just run away from them to distance ourselves from them. You know, we just kind of like, oh, if we can just detach from these feelings that I'm going through right now. If we're honest, as I say, I, I don't know how. I think we don't know always how to deal with them. Three ways, three possible ways that many people do, uh, How how many people do respond. In fact, if you look at classic Buddhism, classic Buddhism states that all kind of suffering is linked it 's kind of a byproduct of desire, so we feel pain and emotion because there are things that we care deeply for, or because there are things that we desire that have touched our lives and you know what I think there is truth in that actually, some of the things Jesus spoke of. Seven other men very much reflect that, and so I think there's truth in that. But their response is that, therefore, what we need to do is to disconnect from all forms of desire and attachment. That's what the kind of Buddhism uh, response is that we need to kind of let go of desires, we need to transcend, go above, free ourselves from desires and attachments, and that's how you deal with emotional pain. And although that 's kind of classic Buddhism, I think that that sort of philosophy that way is very much alive in our societies today out there, you know sometimes even in the church. Just detach from emotion and feeling and desires and all those sorts of things there 's another way. Um, Actually, this is quite common within Christian circles. Another way to respond is, hey, you know, Jesus is just so powerfully overcome pain and suffering and death. And God, you know, God's with you right now. He's the Holy Spirit is in you 24-7. He's permanently with you. And what's more, you're not alone. You've got the church that love you and, and want to support you. And more than that, you know, Jesus is coming again. And so sometime, we, at sometime in the future, we're going to be brought together. We're going to be made physically and emotionally whole again. So all you need to do is just tell those feelings, just get lost feelings, stuff off. (laughs) Now, all that stuff about God is right, right? And the spirit and the church and fellowship and and all that sort of stuff. But then just to tell your feelings to get lost. Uh, Maybe there are times (laughs) when get lost, anger, stop it, anger. You know, maybe there are times for that, for that. But what about the times when it just doesn't work? I, I don't know. Have you ever been in that moment where you've got all these emotions bubbling up because of a circumstance, and you've said, get lost, and that emotion has turned around and said, no, <laughs> no, I'm not getting lost. Then where do you go? What do you do then? <laughs> I felt like that. I don't know about you. But when you're feeling deeply let down, cut to the core, rejected, (coughs) filled with fear and anxiety, and your instruction to get lust, feelings, emotions, doesn't seem to make a difference. What then? What do we do then? And I think kind of like as Christians, uh, one of the default response in that is, um, for many, is basically, we'll fake it. <laughs> just just fake it. Move on. And uh, suppress those emotions that we don't want to deal with. Push it back. Bury it in order to move on. And we kind of sometimes we will even enforce that suppressing by, you know, just put on your next favorite worship CD. <laughs> Or or listen to some more teaching podcasts or something. Or go and read the Bible, do a Bible study. That's good. That's a good thing, right? Right? Now clearly all those things are good things. (laughs) They're not bad things. It's just sometimes they can be simply a reinforcement to trying to ignore or suppress painful emotions, emotions that we just don't know how to deal with, we don't want to deal with, and just move on. The other way of dealing with painful emotions is a way which is very, very common, I think, in society <coughs> uh, in the way it deals with them. And that is, yeah, well, you know what? Life just sucks. And like, you know, bad things happen. And that's reality. It's going to happen. And there's nothing that you can actually go and do with, it, do with it or do about it. And so the only thing you can do is kind of escape it for a while. Just kind of distract yourself from the pain for a moment. And people use all sorts of things, don't they, to distract themselves from pain, like alcohol, drugs, uh, or relationships. I mean, people get into certain relationships, or sex, or even education, or career. Shopping, that's a good one. People satiate meet a low need by shopping, spending money. Or a hobby, even a hobby, watching TV, just rubbish on TV or entertainment. Whatever it is, kind of society says, just distract yourself. You know, the common thing between these three things is what? You run away from it. (laughs) That's the whole idea. You just run away. You don't deal with it. But that's not healthy, is it? Surely that's not healthy. I've been reading uh, a book by a guy called uh, Peter Scazero called Emotionally Healthy Church. Um, and this book is kind of like an autobiography that is written about his life and his early years in church planting. It's turning out to be a really good book. Um, But he starts off by sharing a story uh, that comes out of a time in his life things were getting a bit rocky in his marriage and actually he hits a crisis point when his wife comes up to him and says I don't trust or I don't uh, value your leadership anymore. I'm leaving the church. (laughs) that He's leading. (laughs) That's, That's a pretty intense moment. It left him like, how do you respond to that? Now, don't get me wrong, he wasn't in any sin. No, he wasn't in any moral sin or anything. His life, in fact, was just packed full of Jesus and the Bible and the church and doing justice and doing good things. And he was church planting and actually doing quite a good job at church planting as well. But what he discovered was that he was emotionally immature. He was overworked. And worn out and stressed all the time and it led to the fact that he was just not present with his wife in his marriage he wasn't present with his kids he was always tired and grouchy he was just like there's always something else to go to and it was just hard but his basic premise in in this book and the there's a whole series of books in the emotionally healthy series of books his whole premise is that Our emotional health and our spiritual health are inextricably connected. You can't separate them. You can't have one and not the the other. This is a quote from this book. It says, It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. I let that go in a little while. I encourage you to do the same. It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while maintaining, while remaining emotionally immature. I find that really challenging when I, when you get into the thinking about that in your own life. Yeah. You know, we as a church, Vineyard Community Church, as you know, we have a big focus on... Our purpose is to grow as disciples of Jesus or to become and grow, develop discipleship in us and grow disciples of others. Or to phrase it another way, we're learning what it is to be apprentices to Jesus where we're taking Jesus as our model or our template for how we are to live life. And so we want to grow and become mature followers of Christ. And so often, you know, when we talk, we separate these two things, like the emotional health and spiritual health. We separate them, don't we? Especially in the church. We, we say here yeah, in the church, we're supposed to be talking about spiritual things. Rob, why are you talking about emotions? <laughs> Come on, Rob, we're supposed to talk about spirituality and how we become spiritually mature. But God, you know what? He doesn't just want to teach us how to read the Bible and pray. He also wants to teach us how to become really human. He wants to teach us how to be good in our relationships and good in our sexuality and good in our finances and good in our job. It's the whole package. He wants to rebuild you and I to become everything that he originally intended us to to be which is like Jesus to be mature both emotionally and spiritually so that 's what we 're going to do over the next few weeks I think it's probably about five six seven talks we 're going to talk about this um, becoming more mature or more healthy emotionally and I just want to get this Started this morning by just looking at yet another moment in the life of Jesus, where he is confronted with a circumstances, an upcoming circumstance, which draws out of him and surfaces a whole bunch of emotions in his life, and we're going to have a look at what he does, how he responds uh, to those emotions, and we're going to use that as kind of like our starting block for this series, a starting block. Moving forward, how we should <laughs> or can deal with difficult and painful emotions. So we're looking at Matthew 26 then. It's, very, it's going to be short, don't worry. Only about an hour and a half left. And uh, Matthew 26 from 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And the language that uh, is used here, translated sorrowful, literally means he was experiencing excruciating internal pain. Okay, It says he was experiencing this internal internal turmoil, um, and he is troubled he was incredibly upset to the point where it filled him with anxiety and to the point where he just felt ill i bet you have felt that way many of you have felt that way verse 38 then he said to them my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death stay here and keep watch with me again Whew. Looking at the original language here, he's saying, I feel emotionally crushed. It could be translated, this, uh, this sorrow is crushing the life out of me. That's how he's feeling. Do you get the feeling Jesus is having a tough time emotionally? Here, here. He's in the utmost depths of emotional pain. And he says to Peter and James, just stay here and keep watch. With me, which I, by the way, I think this kind of is a, a real good, uh, important thing about community. Why we need people around us when we're in a real low place and in that turmoil, in that distraught place. If Jesus needed community. <laughs> you can bet it. We need community too. Um, verse thirty-nine. Did we get to verse thirty-nine? A going a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. This cup he's talking about, it's kind of metaphorical language again, speaking about his impending suffering, his death his on the cross that's coming up. If it is possible, may this cup, may this death, this what's coming up, be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. He seemed really frustrated, probably a little bit angry. Ticked off with them in this. Watch and pray so you you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. First of all, what Jesus doesn't do, he doesn't try to just disconnect from his emotions, does he? <laughs> I just, you know, If I just suppress them, push them away. He doesn't get out his iPod and fire up the next Jesus help on this favorite culture, just get into worship, praise God, hallelujah. He doesn't pretend that it's all gone away. He doesn't say, hey, Pete, James, John, let's go up the pub, let's just go and get blasted, have fun. You know, I just like, actually, it's more the opposite of that. Jesus actually goes to the place of pain and he stands and stares these fierce uh, emotions in the face, in the, right in the face of fear and anxiety. So let's just look very quickly then at three things that he does do, which might may help us. First of all, Jesus gives God his feelings. Jesus gives God his feelings. In verse 38, it says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I mean, talk about spelling it out just as it is, you know, not, not watering it down. It's totally unfiltered, totally unedited. It's just startlingly honest. It's just out there. This is how I feel. And he tells God, and he tells others, as I say, he's talking in community among his friends. I don't know if you've read the Psalms. In the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, the Psalms are just so, there are so many like this. You know, they're just so brutally honest before God. Sometimes come across really dark, actually, when you read them. Is that really in there? You know? And they're songs. That's what you've got to remember. This is like liturgy here. <laughs> and the writers, and mostly David, but there are others as well, they're just pouring out their laments and their woes and their desperation to God, expressing how they're feeling. And I think that just shows that God doesn't want to conceal ourself when we come before him. How often we try to hide how we really feel. I think we've been doing that since the Garden of Eden, you know, covering up... <laughs> Don't see God, no. Don't see this God. He sees right through our pretense, anyway. You know. So what's the point? What's the point of hiding? It? Just let's just tell God how it really is, and make that kind of the basis point of our prayer. As we come before God, we start at that place, and that's what Jesus does. He tells God how he feels. Secondly, Jesus gives God his desires. Um, so he goes on to say in verse 39, If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. That's my desire. <laughs> can you get, is it, can I get around, around this? As I said before, this cup is Jesus talking about his upcoming death and his suffering you know, leading up to his death on the cross. So, so what Jesus is saying is, Father, I can see this coming now. It's like a few days' time. And you know what? I really don't want it to happen. <laughs> I don't want to go through all of this. <clears throat> so if there's another option, if there's another way around, God, I'd like to go for that, if that's okay. Thank you. So he's being honest about what his desires are. Can you imagine, begin to imagine, the battle that's taking place inside of Jesus at this point? He knows what the cross is all about. He knows what the purpose of the cross is. He knows what it's going to achieve. But the man inside him is like... I really don't want to go through that. I really don't I really don't want it. Totally conflict is in inside. He wants to be faithful to his calling and who he is and what he's gonna do. And yet he doesn't want to be beaten up and whipped and, you know, brutally killed on the cross. So Jesus gives God his desires. And the thing is we have a whole load of different desires ourselves. We're wants and so forth, and we have desires for things that are going to be good for us, and we also have desires for things that aren't going to be good for us. We think they will be, but they they won't be. Now, imagine, for example, if you have been terribly let down by somebody who's really close to you. You've been very disappointed by them, or a close friend, and they've betrayed you, really, really hurt you, or something. Um, so emotionally, you're experiencing lots of pain, and probably angry. And your desire may be that they are hurt as well. I desire that they be hurt in the same measure that they've hurt me. Now, what does it look like to invite God into those desires, into those emotions? To invite God into the anger, to invite God into the hatred and all the desires for vengeance, saying, God, I want to give these destructive thoughts and feelings and desires to you. Or, another situation, maybe you're at home, um, hard day, you're you're tired emotionally, physically, maybe you're feeling low emotionally, uh, lonely, and there's a chance to get a sneak peek at uh, you know, a certain website, pornographic website or something. That, you know, this isn't going to create godliness and righteousness in my life. Or there's a temptation to gratify that internal uh, animal desires by watching a particular scruffy program channel or whatever late at, at, late at night. Just want to satiate that again. What does it look like to invite God into those desires? God, this is what I desire. This is what I want to do, to give those desires. I give those desires to you. So Jesus starts out by giving God his feelings. He gives God his desires. And then last of all, he gives God his trust. It's this... uh, powerful sort of iconic response that many of us have quoted uh, I'm sure 39, yet not as I will but as you will God, and he repeats it again later in verse 42, he said my father if it's not possible for this cup to be taken, uh, taken away unless I drink it may your will be done so there is these two uh, kind of conflicting levels of Desires at war right, going on inside of Jesus. There is this surface desire. this, And it's probably the strongest and loudest desire to Jesus at that moment. A desire, I don't want to be beaten up. <laughs> okay? I don't want to go through all the, the suffering and the pain of the cross. But then there is this deepest desire. This is the thing, there's, there's the loudest and strongest desire, but there is a, the deepest desire, underneath all of those other desires, which is for the will of God to be done. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've received the Holy Spirit in your life, that same conflict of desires resides within us, in our hearts. We have the loudest desires, the strongest desires, maybe, um, And then we have our deepest desires, and sometimes they're not the same things. Often they're not the same same things. And so, coming back to those scenarios I just mentioned, where a close friend has let you down or hurt you in some way, maybe your strongest desire, the loudest desire, is kill him, (laughs) kill her, he was a stabber, or at least hurt that person. But your deepest desire in that moment may be God. I really need to let go of this anger. I really need to let go of all this, disi- this uh, disappointment, uh, and I, I desire to this desire to kind of exact pain on them as they have me. I just want to give that up. That's that's my deepest desire. This deep desire to walk in true freedom and the peace that is available to you, uh, available to me from you, uh, the Lord. Lord. Or if you're at home, again, alone at night, feeling exhausted, those feelings of insecurity and loneliness, and that strongest desire, again, the loudest desire is turn on that scruffy TV channel, (laughs) satiate those animal instincts, but that deepest desire within us says, hang on a minute, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, I, I just want to make everything related to my body and my sexuality. I want all that to be used in a way that pleases Him. Now, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the dwelling place of God. It's where God is 24-7. And, you know, I just want that. I want the presence of God. I want it to be continually in my life. Living a life of righteousness is that deepest desire. And you know what, God, I want to trust you and trust that your desires and your will for my life is going to be way, way better than those surface desires that I have. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, as I say, God's Spirit is dwelling in you, this isn't something we have to try and muster up. We don't have to try and conjure up these desires. They're there, it's just they're mostly underneath. (laughs) a whole stack of other desires and wants that we have that are shouting maybe the loudest. But it's in that place of surrendering to God our strongest desires where we find the deepest desires that begin to emerge. Surrender. Surrender and obedience. Beginning of emotional uh, maturity. So when you and I come to that place where just like Jesus we Release our feelings, we surrender all of our desires, and we trust, begin to trust in our Heavenly Father. That's where we find and nurture emotional health. Yeah, my desire, my desire for Vineyard Community Church here, that we are, as a community, over the coming weeks, that we do begin to become more and more or we come more and more into that place of emotional maturity. And in doing so, he grows us more and more as disciples, so we grow spiritually as well. And the thing is, what I just wanted to remind us, is this is an arm-in-arm, side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder journey. We walk with each other. We all need this. I desperately need this. I haven't arrived but I know the importance of it. You Most of you know I just came through a very dark few years in, of my life. And uh, in many ways, I was just like an emotional wreck. If I allowed Ange to tell you <laughs> the truth of it, I was in many uh, times just emotionally distraught and broken. Emotionally, I'd, I'd quit. There were times I'd quit emotionally. You know, All of this, I'd quit. I quit. Life almost, I quit. But, you know, there were times where I also found Jesus right, at the, right in the center, right in those places of quitting, going, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> but I can tell you, <laughs> the truth is, I know that being unhealthy um, emotionally has certainly set me back. It's held me back in my spiritual journey. Absolutely, I can, I'll tell you that now. So I really believe this uh, stuff. I believe that Jesus waits for us in that emotional pain, that place of emotional um, pain. And so right at the outset of this next season, this teaching, really it's an invitation for us to invite God into our emotions and our feelings, both the highs and the lows, the positive stuff the negative stuff, the good and the bad. Meeting God, yeah, meeting God in all the joy and all the peace and all the happiness and the calmness. But also meeting God right in that place of anxiety and anger and jealousy and insecurity and loneliness and all those negative places. Letting those be a meeting place with God. I haven't actually typed this up, but I just want to finish with just this last quote from peter Scazzero. this this one comes from his emotionally healthy spirituality book but he says this ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality <laughs> ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality listening to our emotions ushers us into reality and reality is where we meet god Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. It's powerful stuff. Really, really good stuff. Why don't we pray?